Amen. Amen. Anybody excited this morning? Come on. Uh, first time. All right. Anybody here for the first time? Amen. Welcome. Please keep your hands up for a minute. You're here for the first time. And now please come forward. We're going to have you just greet everybody. I'm kidding. Relax. Okay. Welcome. We all settled in. Amen. We knocked down a wall. We added about 50 chairs so we could continue to grow and have room. Some exciting times. All right. So now lean in. Anybody ready for the word? Now come on. We ready for the word? All right. Lean in. Lean in. Lean in. I like to start with a quote. Here's the quote. Just as worship begins in holy expectancy, it ends in holy obedience. If worship does not propel us into greater obedience, then it has not been worship. Man, it got quiet. See, if worship doesn't draw us into obedience, then we're, we're just, you're just at a concert. Amen? If worship doesn't change us, if it doesn't draw us, listen, worship isn't about the songs or the instruments or the personalities or the sound, whether it's good or bad. Amen? But it's never just music. Worship is about communion. Actually, music is about communion. That's what makes it so dangerous. Amen? But that's a whole other message. Anyway. So if worship doesn't lead us into a greater love and a greater obedience, then it wasn't worship. Sadly, the first Palm Sunday is a perfect illustration of that kind of worship. The worship that doesn't lead us into obedience. Church, I'm excited to, 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 to be kind of just where we're at right now as a body. We have just finished, if you've been with us for, for the last year and a half, we have just finished a, a sermon series that took a year and four months. Man, no, no amens or nothing? That was a lot of work. No? It took a year and four months. We called it the World Series because it was a walkthrough from, of the entire book of Genesis. Chapter by chapter from beginning to end. And, and i got to tell you, it was one of the most toughest and yet most exciting series that I've ever done. But I understand why nobody gets excited because, see, you, it, it's hard to get excited about something that takes a year and a half. Right? Nobody, no, nobody's, you know, running out getting books, saying, you know, uh, buying DVDs and books about things that say, you know, I promise in a year and a half you're going to have results. Right? Nobody's going out buying, yes, you two can lose those extra 30 pounds in a year and a half. How many would go and buy that, that no matter how late it is on cable, right? Because in our society, we want everything real quick and in a hurry, right? The truth is, you know, we want to eat for an hour or two, but we want 10-minute abs. 
We, we want to buy things that we can't afford to maintain, but we want to get out of debt quick plans. We don't want to work real hard, but we want to get rich quick schemes. And unfortunately, that has carried over into our spiritual lives. You still with me? Listen, we want God to provide all of our needs, but we don't want God to use us to provide his needs. We want God to, to you know, we, 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 we want positions and titles, but we don't want responsibilities. We want business cards that, that our title needs two sides, but we don't want it to have to mean that we have to do any work. We want to know how to, um, amen. We want God to increase our finances before we increase our giving. Yeah, it's going to be quiet today. We went, from, we went from the Bible in a year to the 10-minute Bible to the best-selling one-minute Bible. How many of you have it? Come on, don't be embarrassed. I got one in the office. The one-minute Bible. Listen, the truth is, if you're reading the Bible one minute out of every day, you're probably doing better than a lot of Christians. So don't be embarrassed about it. But see, the point is we'd, we'd rather hear quick messages. We, we like to hear five steps to financial freedom, three easy ways to discover the will of God, four quick steps to spiritual maturity. How many of you listen to that, right? You download that. Four quick, imagine, like, I want to be mature in four quick steps. Wouldn't that be awesome? I tell you what, I'll give them to you. Because I found out those four quick steps. I've been, I've been studying the word long enough. This is, this is my 213th message at the Sanctuary Fellowship, just here. Amen? So, so I've learned a little something. Let me give you the four quick steps to spiritual maturity. Love, obedience, obedience, and faith. So I want to talk to you this Palm Sunday morning about love, obedience, and faith in a message titled, True Colors. I thought somebody was going to sing the song. I was waiting for it. I expected it on this corner. That's where I expected it to come from. I see your truth. All right. So, and, and, and here's how I'd like to start this series. Uh, I, it's, I, I'd like to start it by starting another book. Is that all right? Amen. Because if you want to hear catchy sermons, go someplace else. We're going to go through the book, through the word, Bible, chapter, book by book, chapter by chapter, because that's what you need. That's what we need. Amen. We don't need somebody's clever stuff that, you know, whatever, and pulling three or four verses together and making it sound good. We need to know the word. If we're going to be the body, we need to know the word. If the word is the bread of life, then, then, then we can't go hungry, amen? It's not a time to fast on the Word. It's a time to, to eat. How many want to eat this morning? All right. So, so this next book, it, it, it's much shorter. Say amen. It's okay. While, while Genesis was really rich in history and explanation, and it was spilling over with foundational building blocks, and so that's why to me it was so important that we took our time because it, it's the foundation of everything. And so we really needed to take our time with that. This next one is a, it's a little smaller, and I'd, I'd like to, to, to start it 
today and walk through kind of with you, it's, this one is more of a letter. And it's a letter addressed to a group of people that, believe it or not, were a lot like us. So we just read in the book of Genesis how Jacob had his 12 sons, and the 12 sons became the 12 tribes, right? And those 12 tribes, God was starting his people. And so, not oddly enough, but this book is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel, to God's people. It's a letter to them, and so because of the nature of it, it's a letter to us. So listen, if somebody that loves you wrote you a letter, wouldn't you want to really know what it says? Wait, wait, I'm talking in a different culture. Nobody writes letters anymore. If somebody sent you an email, somebody that loves you, if they posted something on your wall, right, on your Facebook, wouldn't you, you know, if somebody that you know is that you got a message from, wow, don't don't you just want to... Right? You want to open it, even if it's on your little smartphone, you want to open it up the word just to, I want to know what that person said to me, amen? So let's, let's jump into this. I want to start a study on the book of James. Yeah, amen. Finally, somebody woke up. And I want to call the whole series True Colors, because if there's one thing about this book that it's going to do for us, it's going to show us our true colors. Amen? And so, listen, we're not going to get real far today, but, you know, I just want to at least start it this, this morning. Is that all right? So if you have your Bibles, would you open it up to the book of James? It's toward the back end, around Peter and those. When you get there, say amen. So now when we read a lot of the, 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 the books in the Bible, a lot of them are letters. They're written to people. And, and God chose to include them. God chose to put these together because they're written to people a lot like us. that go through the same things, that, are, that find themselves in the same. And I know that's hard to think. Like, how do we relate? Like, us in a Lexus and he's on a camel. How? You know, like, we got Nikes and they got chancletas. How? But, but, but right, as we've gone into the Word, doesn't it relate? Isn't it like, oh, my God, he's talking to me. Right? I get emails from some of you like, stop blowing up my laundry. Why are you talking to me? And I'm like, I'm just reading the word. So James, every writer has their own style and their way of starting a letter. James starts his book by identifying himself. Right? Declaring who he is. And so I love it. Look right there in James 1.1. Yours might say it a bunch of different ways. We're all reading different versions, right? But look, James 1.1, it starts this way. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing to the 12 tribes scattered. James, a bondservant. What's a bondservant? A bondservant is someone who voluntarily commits themselves to service without wages. Oh, man. So the word translates in its, in its less cleaned up form, in its less politically correct form, as slave. The word means slave. Somebody that works for you that doesn't get paid. So he identifies himself as a slave and then identifies Jesus as Lord. Those are two very bold statements. 
He says, I'm James and I'm a slave and he's Jesus and Jesus is Lord. So if he was like in a support group, he said, hi, my name is James. I'm a slave and Jesus is Lord. And that would say it all. Right Now, was James different or special from all the others? No. Moses called himself a servant. David called himself a servant. Paul called himself a bond servant. Timothy called himself a bond servant. Simon Peter called himself a bond servant. And even Jude called himself a bond servant. It seems that everyone that got to know Jesus or walk with Jesus either ran the other way or committed themselves to service without wages. I guess the question this Palm Sunday is, which one are you? See, James sets it straight from the beginning. He says, I'm a slave and Jesus is Lord. And so we, we could stop right there today because that's exactly what I want to deal with. And where we need to start today, our identity, who we are, and Christ's identity, who he is. And I want us to get past the palms and, and past the nice clothes and the Palm Sunday lunches afterwards. And, the, and, and I want us to take a dirty look today inside of us. To take a look at our dirty. Yeah. To let our true colors come out. I'm willing to bet that some of you will be surprised at what you find. Because I think they summed it up in the song so beautifully, I'm forgiven. I love that. We could sing that all day. I'm forgiven. I'm washed clean. Amen? Somebody really needed to hear that. All right, so, so let's, 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 let's dig in. See, when we read about the first Palm Sunday, it, it was called, we call it Palm Sunday because people laid out. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. People took off their clothes and they laid it out before him. And, and after they took off the outer garments, all they had left, they, they grabbed palms and they, and they waved palms before him. They laid it out before him and they waved it before him as he came into Jerusalem. As he made that triumphant entry. And, you know, many other people, they gathered to honor him that way. And they did so because they were so fed up with their lives. Anybody here like that today? They were so fed up with the way they were living. They were under Roman oppression. They were under Roman rule. And, and they had heard about this, the, the, this king of kings. They heard about this incredible Messiah, this deliverer that was going to come in power, man. And they were, they were right. They were down with Obamanotics, man. They were ready for change. All right, two people got that. That's good. So they had heard of all these miracles of that Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead. They heard that he had feeding the hungry with nothing, that he, would, he turned water to wine, that blind eyes were seeing, that deaf ears were opening. They heard that, that people lame were walking, and they heard all these incredible things. And they said, imagine when this guy takes over. Imagine how he's going to like beat down, how he's going to hold it down here with the Romans. And so they were excited about this kingdom that, that they heard that Jesus' kingdom was coming. And so they were excited for this kingdom. But many pictured a different kingdom. And, and when Jesus showed up, not as the warrior Messiah, with the sword in his hands and fire in his eyes, when he showed up as the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, gentle and riding on a donkey, Fulfilling every prophecy that had been written about him. 
Side note, see, sometimes we have these situations where people, like, mess up, where people, like, fall, where people are away from God for a little while. And, and too many times we want to get up on our war horse and we want to ride in and say, come on, and, and, and come in harsh and say, you know better. You should be going to church. You should be serving God. And, and we come in on the war horse. But, but, but Jesus, he comes in on the donkey with grace and forgiveness as the prince of peace into these situations, right? And, and ultimately, he's the one that's going to pay for their sins. We come in, church, we need to get off the high war horses. Amen? And we need to learn how to come in gentle and, and, and full of love. Because that's a true sign of, of spiritual maturity. So, all right, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and the people praised him, and they were waving palms at him, and they were singing scriptures from the Psalms. But, but the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the religious people, the, those people that spend their time reading the scriptures and praying and trying to keep the law and waiting for this Messiah and talking about this Messiah, they wouldn't receive him as king. And they would ultimately sway the people from receiving him as king. See, when their, their faith is going to be tested and their true colors are going to come forth, and instead of the worship and praise leading to obedience, their worship and praise led to rebellion. Because the Pharisees, they hadn't settled that question yet about their true identity. They hadn't settled that question of his true identity. They didn't see themselves as slaves and Jesus as Lord. They were stuck on titles and, 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 and uh, laws and rituals and so much that they couldn't see the Messiah right before their eyes. Church, sometimes we try to be so Christian that people don't see Christ in us. Right? We want to have our Christian t-shirts on, our Christian bumper stickers, chewing Christian tes- testaments, and, 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 right? We're drinking Christian water, right? And then, and then we get around people that God loves, and we're like, don't curse in front of me, I'm a Christian. Don't act like that in front of me, I'm a believer. Don't, don't be like that, I'm a, I'm a... There's no Christ in us, man. We get too Christian for our own good. Amen? That's a bonus message. I'll give you that one for free. So at one point, the Pharisees in this scenario, they're with Jesus, and they want to stop the people from worshiping him. And, and, you know, see, religion will keep you from worshiping God. That's the perfect picture. Religion will keep you from worship. Religion will say, listen, don't act up. Don't throw yourself on the front. Don't throw yourself on the floor during worship. Don't jump around and wave around. Religion will keep you from worship. So the Pharisees, at one point, they're with Jesus, and they tell them, Jesus, rebuke them. Tell them to stop. Tell them to stop worshiping you. Jesus says, you don't understand. At this point, if I stop them, the rocks will cry out. He said, if I stop them from being Christians, the rocks will be Christians. The rocks will start rocking Christian t-shirts. See, at this point, Jesus said, the, the, the hour has come. See, up until this point, Jesus would tell people, don't. 
you're, you're healed, but don't tell anybody. Keep it, they would still go out and tell people, right? But, but he would say, listen, don't, don't, don't spread this right now. Listen, hold it, keep it on the low. I know I just, I just stood you up and you've never walked in your life, but keep it on the low right now because my hour hasn't come yet. But at this point, Jesus said, man, the hour has come. This is the hour of visitation. This is the hour. And the word even tells us in Luke that as he approached the city, Jesus wept over the city. Because he said their time of visitation was at hand and his own people wouldn't receive it. See, many of those that were waving the palms and saying, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord, would after some pressure put on them by those in charge, that same crowd that was singing Hosanna, Hosanna waving palm branches would be shouting, crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify him. This king who came to lay down his life that they can be free so that they can really be saved and really be rescued and really be delivered, not just from the Romans, but from death and eternal life. That was good. They ultimately rejected the very Savior that they needed. See, even back then, people were living just for now. I want you to give me, pass me that, that rope right there. People were saying, you know, I don't want eternal life. I want my best life now. I don't want riches stored in heaven. I want them right now. Now, I saw Francis Chan use this illustration, and I love this, so I'm going to steal it. Shh, don't tell him. He says, see, people were living for right now. He says, look, he took this long rope, right? And, and, and I want you to picture that this rope, it goes around the world four times. It just goes on and on and on and on, right? It goes on forever. And now... Picture this rope as a timeline. And picture this rope as a timeline of your life. Right? And it goes on and on. I mean, this ends right there in the room, but sorry. It goes on and on and on, but this is your life. And now picture this little blue part as your time here on earth. And we get so obsessed we get so consumed with this little part, right? We say, oh, man, I got to save up a lot and save up a lot so, like, right here I can, like, go on vacation and, and have a good life. Oh, man, I got I to gotta watch what I eat and everything so that maybe, like, during this part right here I can still be healthy. Oh, man, if I, if I save up a lot, maybe, like, maybe during this part right here I, I don't have to work. And it's so silly, right? Look at this. It's so crazy because we're consumed with this little part. And the thing is, the Word tells us the way we live this little part determines how, we, how all of this is going to go. I mean, can you get a hold of that right now? The decisions we make on this little piece will determine how all of this is going to end up. And yet we're, we're so consumed with this little part. How, how we live, you know, during this little part. You know what the crazy thing is also? There are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. you got one chance to live this peace. One chance. 
And all of this will, will be a result of your decisions that you made during this part. Isn't it crazy that all we want to do is try to make ourselves comfortable, try to make ourselves rich, try to make ourselves happy, try to buy joy, try to have this, try to have that during this little, little, little piece. But we're not living for the rest of this. We're going to spend eternity someplace. We're going to, the rest of our lives is going to be determined on how we live that little piece. So, so that crowd of faith who, who, in faith, they were, they were waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. They were singing, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But when they got pressed on by the culture around them, they turned from that way. Worship team, you guys can come up now. It gives them a little hope like I'm finished. They, they <coughs> when they were pressed, they turned from the way. And so, fast forward, James is writing to another crowd. He's writing to a future crowd of people. People who will shout, Hosanna, God, you're worthy. As long as things are going well. People who come out to church on Palm Sunday, on Easter, and on Christmas, just to get one of these little... One of these little 15-cent palms so that they can twist it and turn it and make a, I can't do it, but, you know, make a cross. And then somehow, you know, whatever. I didn't do good in that class. But so that they can have this. You're throwing crosses at me, man. That's disrespectful. Nice. That's pretty incredible. They'll be doing these for $5 after the service if you want. But, you know, we come on this little special day to get this little 15-cent thing so that we can make this so that we can hang it in our car and it can get gray by next Easter. And what? What, what did this do for your car? What did this do? What is this? And, you know, we're here, and we say, yeah, man, no, I know, I got to get back to church, man. No, you're right, Pastor, you're right. Pastor, you're right. I got to get my life back. I got to come back. I got I to gotta do, you're right, man, you're right. But, the, but when the pressure comes, when the challenges come, when the trials come, I won't see you again till next Easter because this thing got old in your car. So in, in context, James was writing to the early church who had just experienced some serious persecution. And like every Christian, the issue is, how do I keep my faith strong when things get difficult? How do I, how do I stand when everyone around me is telling me to sit down and don't worry about it? How do I do the right things when everybody around me is telling me to do the wrong things? Or telling me it's not that important. And so James encourages us in the next verse. I love this. Look at verse 2 in your Bibles. We're getting real far in this book, right? It's going to take six years. Verse 2, he says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Notice he says when they come, not if they come. They're going to come. Amen? If you've been in this long enough, you know. 
Challenges are going to come. You're going to find yourself in the hard places, right? He says, when they come, because he says this, he reads on, he says, know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely, the word says. Let it do its work in you so that you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in any way. Other versions say, count it all joy when trials and you face challenges. Why is James saying this to us? Because he knows all too well these things are going to come. These hard places, we're going to find ourselves in some hard places, and if we don't stand, we'll just fall aside for anything. And if we give in to the pressure and we get out of it prematurely, we will always be lacking and we'll never be complete, the Word says. Isn't that amazing? God says, listen, when you go through a trial... Go through it. Don't try to get out of it. Don't call sugar daddy here or this one or that one or, or papa or this one or that. Don't call nobody to get you through it. You can call people to stand with you, but don't have somebody try to get you out of it. Stay in it. Listen, if you're in a hard place right now, this is a bad message for you, right? Stay in it. Stay there. Chances are God put you there. Now you're really going to be angry. God will put us to the hard places. Why? So that we can come out refined. So that we can be completed. So that we can be not lacking in anything. You'll never be complete if you don't go through. And in the end, we'll disqualify ourselves from what God has for us. See, James is trying to teach us to focus on the long part of the rope. James is teaching us how to stand strong during the little part. Because the truth is, under pressure, your faith life is going to show its true colors. When the hosannas were pressured, the crucify hymns came out. I wonder today if anybody has a Hosanna cry inside of them. Hosanna means it's, it's a declaration of praise, but it also means at the same time, maybe you didn't know this, it's a cry for salvation. Hosanna, if you, if you break it down, it, it, it's, it's a praise, but it's a cry for salvation. It means really literally, save me now. You can save me. That's what it means. Save me now. You can save me. So they they were shouting, save me. Only you can save me. Church, I wonder if we could just bow our heads this afternoon. And I wonder if there is a Hosanna cry in somebody today. Save me. Only you can save me. I'm going to ask if that's you, that you would just grab a palm branch. If you don't have one, just, just lift your hands. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Just hold them up. Just hold them up. And just think in your mind, Hosanna. Hosanna. God save me. Only you can save me. What's awesome is that James tells us in the very next verse, he says, if any of you needs wisdom, ask God. It says he loves to help and you'll get his help and you won't be condescended to when you ask for it. But, but verse 6 says, just ask boldly, believingly, and without a second thought. If that's you, if you got your hand raised, if you have a Hosanna cry, I'm going to ask that you believe boldly and, 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 and without a doubt and you would just come forward and start to worship with us right now. Right now, just wherever you are, just come. This is, this is a, it, it's a serious thing, man. Go and sit back down. If you're not ready to say, God, hi, my name is George. I'm a slave, and Jesus is Lord. And the beauty of it is that verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised for those that love him. Come on, let's worship together. Come on.